This season, we're sponsored by our friends at SongTrust, the world's largest and most accessible music publishing administrator. Sign up now to join over 300,000 songwriters and collect your publishing royalties from more than 215 countries and territories. Use the promo code PUBCAST20 to sign up at 20% off your SongTrust registration. Hey, Pubcasters, we have an informative and important episode for you. David Israelite, President and CEO of the NMPA, phones in from D.C. to give us the latest legislative wins for songwriters and the publishing community. Hello, Pubcast listeners. Today on our episode, we have David Israelite, President and CEO of the NMPA. And as always, we're always excited to have him on board to give us the the latest and the greatest in the war against uh, basically everybody. It feels like it's time but the, <laughs> to give us our legislative update for the year. And a lot has transpired, David, since we had you on uh, on last year. So I'll just let you jump in and kind of give us the background on where we're at with the CRB and Spotify and Amazon. I know it's, it's quickly moving, but slowly at the same time. So if you want to just kind of let us know where we're at in our struggle currently. Sure, and let me just thank you for having me on and thank you for all that you guys do over there. It's a, it's a great product and educates a lot of the community and it's much appreciated. Um, so yeah, the Copyright Royalty Board. This has been one of the more frustrating experiences for songwriters and music publishers. Um, and I think it goes to the heart of a lot of the themes that you've heard us talk about, about why songwriters and music publishers need freedom. They need the ability to negotiate the value of their songs in a free market. And there's no better case than that, than the Copyright Royalty Board and what's going on with our mechanical reproduction right. As I think probably your listeners know well, we've been living under a compulsory license for over a hundred years that was based on an analysis regarding player piano roles. And what that's led to today is that for streaming services like Spotify and Amazon and Apple, the price they pay the songwriters is set by law. And it's set by a three-judge court known as the Copyright Royalty Board that holds a trial every five years and sets rates for a five-year period. That is very different for how record labels and artists get paid from those same companies. They're in a free market. They sit across a negotiating table. They can say no if they don't like the price. And that that process has resulted in record labels and artists getting about 52% of the revenue that's generated by these streaming services. For music publishers and songwriters, we went to a trial. Uh, and it led to a decision that came out in January of 2018. And the decision was actually a very good one. It was a raise in the rate under the law from the old rate structure that paid us 10.5% of revenue. And the court gave us a step-up increase every year all the way up to 15.1% of revenue, which was a 44% raise the first meaningful pay raise for songwriters in really several generations. And so while our compulsory process led to this increase in rates from 10.5 to 15.1%, it 
obviously still significantly less than the record labels and artists make from their free market negotiation, which we think is unfair. But nevertheless, the result was a good one. Unfortunately, Spotify and Amazon led a fight to appeal that decision up to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which means that despite the fact we went through a two-year trial, got a decision under this terrible process, they didn't accept the decision and they took it up on appeal. And so we went up to the appellate court. We had arguments there. And recently, the appellate court came back with what's known as a remand, which means they're sending the case back to the Copyright Royalty Board and specifically over two particular issues that I don't have to bore you with. But those issues had nothing to do with the pay raise that took us from 105 to 15.1%. Unfortunately, it looks like the digital companies are going to take the position that while we're in this remand, we somehow magically go back to 2012 and they get to pay us under the old rate structure. So the bottom line is we're nearing the end of the third year of the five-year term, 2018, 19, and 20. And here we are almost 60% through the five-year term, and we still don't have certainty as to what our rates are. And what's even more bizarre is that we start the next CRB process in about 100 days. Because on January 4th of next year, we begin the two-year process that will set the rate for the upcoming five-year term. So we're going to actually be crossing over, litigating the old CRB, while we start litigating the new CRB, which just demonstrates how absurd this entire process is and unfair to songwriters and music publishers. Well, let me interject one question in here, and not to interrupt your train of thought, but for clarity, we had the rate set. Now, are we are we currently getting paid the up uh, the new rate during the time that they're in the appellate uh, in in the court trying to get it reduced again? And if they do end up getting it reduced, which God I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, would that mean we would have to pay that money back if we are getting paid currently at that new rate? Those are great questions. The answer is that we are currently getting paid under the new rate structure, which means that in 2018, it raised from 10.5 to 11.4. Then in 2019, it jumped up to 12.3%. And then in 2020, the year we're in now, it jumped up to 13.3%. And it's scheduled to go up to 14.2% next year and then ultimately 15.1% in 2022. So we've been getting paid under the current rate structure all through the appellate process. But what's about to happen, and it could happen today, could happen in the next couple of weeks, is the Court of Appeals decision will become final. And not to get legal on you, but basically there's been a motion for reconsideration that has to be dealt with by the Court of Appeals. And as soon as they deal with that motion, their decision becomes final. So whenever that happens, it you know, could be any time in the next month likely. What we understand the digital services are going to do is claim that they now get to revert backwards to the old rate structure. Now, whatever ends up happening, with the remand to the CRB, the decision when it is final, whenever it's final, will be retroactive back to 2018. So there may have to be an accounting between the digital services 
and the publishing and songwriting community about we paid too much, we didn't pay enough, we have to make it up. It's an accounting nightmare. And it's all caused because Spotify and Amazon refuse to accept the decision of the court. But the rates are currently effective. They may be temporarily suspended during this remand period, but then ultimately when we get a final decision, it will be retroactive all the way to the back to, you know, three years ago, basically. Uh, yes, accounting, being that I'm the, I understand admin in my world, it's the most complicated. And the fact that this is just going to make a mess is not ideal. And I guess my, my next question would lead into how are we going to begin renegotiating with this looming? Well, hopefully, like you said, there'll be some sort of answer, hopefully not, uh, hopefully to our benefit, but, uh, so we're going to have to start renegotiating already, and I guess we don't really know how that's going to be affected yet on how we're going to start that renegotiation, correct? That's correct. So the way this will work is that as soon as the Court of Appeals decision is final, we have 45 days to submit what's known as a remand plan to the CRB, basically laying out our argument of what should happen now that the Court of Appeals has sent it back. We think it's pretty clear that not only should the pay raise stay in place, but that the issues that were sent back by the Court of Appeals can be easily dealt with by the CRB and left in place. But it's the continuing litigation, the uncertainty, and just the arrogance and refusal to be fair to songwriters by these streaming companies that's the most annoying. Ultimately, it may end up meaning nothing. This entire appeal process may lead to no change in what the original decision was in 2018. But the fact that we have to fight like this while we're getting ready to start the next process just demonstrates the absurdity of the system we have and why it's so important to get in a free market where we could be more like record labels and just be at a negotiating table, negotiating the fair value of songs. That is, and again, I, I did read recently an, uh, an open letter you had in, in Billboard, and it, it's eye-opening to see that Spotify also is in their own little battle with the, the Apple App Store. What is the word? A draconian, I think there was a word I saw in there, draconian pay that they have to deal with, and they're trying to get their rates reduced while at the same time trying to screw the creators out of money at the same time. It's pretty two-faced sounding. I'll, I'll go ahead and say the word. I don't mind saying it out loud, but that seems pretty two-faced for them to be doing at the same time, is it not? Oh, the, the hypocrisy is overwhelming. And so if you look at what Spotify's position has been on any issue since its inception, whenever it has to do with what Spotify's value is, they want to be in a free market and they want fairness in the pricing based on what they think the true value is. But yet, when it comes to the most important element of their business, which are the songs themselves, they want to live in a world of both compulsory licenses for mechanicals and consent decrees for the PROs that basically don't make them pay fair value for the most important input into their business. It's just pure hypocrisy. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing to me. Not only are we dealing with that, if we're spending millions of dollars to defend and fight an, a agreement that's already been made that would cost us money to negotiate anyway. And it's just just so much to take in sometimes. It feels like the battle never ends. I guess another question I would have in this, uh, with what that's currently doing, is what can we, 
And when I say we, for, um, for my listeners, independent songwriters, independent publishers, and, and, and publishers as a whole, is there anything we can do to help in this current fight on that? Or is it just all legal at this point? Is there anything we can do to help you guys who are doing so much of the legwork for us? Well, I appreciate that. And a lot of songwriters and publishers are already doing quite a bit just through their participation in their different trade organizations like NMPA or lobbying groups or their own efforts. Um, the way I think about this is it's really a, a battle that has several different campaigns that go on simultaneously. There is the legal process. And for that, there's really not a lot for people to do other than the lawyers who are you know, working on behalf of writers and publishers to fight through this process and make sure that we get the right outcome. We're going to do everything in our power through the legal process to see the result be fair. And we're doing that. Um, there is a public relations part of this, which is there needs to be a price point for companies like Spotify who take these positions. They treat songwriters like indentured servants, like they're not business partners. And at every opportunity, all they have cared about is squeezing out the last drop of money over what they pay for the songs without any regard to the relationship between those who make the songs and their business, which delivers the songs. And I think it's important that songwriters, everybody who has a job in the music industry, and even fans, take a real notice of which companies treat writers fairly and which ones don't, because I do think that these companies can be motivated by things beyond the courtroom, such as their standing within the public, with their consumers, with the music industry. And so I'm not afraid to call out what I think are bad actors. And, you know, there's absolutely no reason why a company should be able to buy a couple of billboards and praise songwriters for being secret geniuses and then somehow think that they can try to cut what they pay writers by one third and walk around Nashville or anywhere else and be welcome in the music community. To me, those are conflicting things that I don't mind pointing out and others can too. So there's yes. that whole element of the campaign as well. Yeah, full disclosure, it's it's no, we they had uh they being Spotify had sponsored one of our AIMP award shows. If I'm thinking correctly, it was three years ago, given COVID. I think that adding that in it was three years ago. And when all this began happening, we had to sit down and rethink our, our program there and, and, and decline for the next year. And and I actually I did let go of my Spotify uh, subscription. I do. I, I will give them the fact I like their product, but I just could no longer support and encourage all my friends to do the same. But it's just a challenge, as you said, when they're because they they're working on doing publisher dashboards and songwriter things. But in the same time, it's like they're screwing you in the same sense. It's just it's kind of a mess, and uh, it's 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 hard as a independent guy because you have to do business with them because we're developing artists and putting them on their platform and trying to grow, you know, new talent. And in the same side, be a wise, uh, you know, as you said, actor in the game and do the right thing. And, that, and so sometimes it gets conflicting uh, for us out here, but I, I figure the easiest way is to do what we can to promote the, what we feel is right and speak up what we see are wrong and continue to do so. Um, which, you know, is ever challenging in our current environment for sure. Well, look, it's tokenism is what it is. If you look at what 
interactive streaming companies pay to the publishing and songwriting community, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars a year. If you then take the value of these small token things that they do, such as you know, buying these billboards or throwing parties to praise certain writers or to make small donations to songwriter groups or causes, it's such a drop in the bucket compared to then an effort to cut by one-third the total compensation to that same community. And so if you just were to look at the actions by themselves, there are wonderful things to give money to these causes or to promote songwriters. Uh, you know, I don't mean to suggest that in a vacuum, these are not good things. They are. But when you compare it to the holistic approach of the company, to the health of the songwriting community, it becomes so apparent that it is a token strategy to drop small amounts of money to try to buy goodwill while at the same time sticking a knife in the back of the very people that you claim that you're trying to help. A good example of that, there's a piece of legislation in Congress that is targeted towards helping live music venues. Obviously, these music venues are being devastated by the fact that they're not allowed to put on shows right now. And a lot of songwriters, obviously, are artists, too, that make a good chunk of their living from performing at these venues. Spotify has been very vocal in supporting this piece of legislation that would call on the federal government to provide taxpayer-funded relief to some of these venues. And so by itself, it's a great bill. It should pass, and it's a good cause. But think about it. Here's Spotify lobbying in Washington for the federal government to spend taxpayer money to bail out venues to help people like the songwriters, while at the same time they're in court trying to cut what they pay them by a third. It just really exposes the hypocrisy. So you have probably more interaction, I would assume, or at least conversation. How to you, when you're dealing with this, are is Spotify and Amazon defending the actions they have? How do they, I mean, I, I even, I, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of press where I see them directly defend it myself, but how are they telling you guys that they're fighting the fight that why this is a good idea for them? So it's been an interesting case study in public relations to see how they've handled that question. When the first appeal came out that they were even going to fight the decision, Spotify put out a blog that was designed to try to defend what they were doing. It was filled with mistruths, half-truths, and deception. And we went on a, a public tour where we held town halls, invited Spotify to join us to talk to songwriters about that blog and what they were doing. And of course, they refused to participate and later admitted that it was a terrible mistake to put out the blog in the first place. Um, it seems that their strategy is to just ignore it to try to stay quiet about it, hope that it passes over, do these other token things, and move on. Um, but it's clear that you know they would never stand up in front of songwriters and just say, yeah, we think you get paid too much from this CRB decision. We're going to court to try to cut what we pay you by a third, but isn't it great that we've put up some billboards or made some of these token donations? So they don't really try to defend it since that initial blog that was blew up in their face. Um, but it's a great question. And for anybody that has friends that work at Spotify, ask the question. If you have an opportunity to ever question someone from the company, ask the question. Because I do think that 
it's indefensible. Yeah, I'm pretty sure their publicists are telling them not to answer that question. <laughs> uh, well, I almost feel sorry. I mean, there are people that work at Spotify that are supposed to be songwriter relations employees or publisher relations employees, and I have some sympathy for their job. How can they possibly be expected to perform their job when the company decision is to just go to war with the very people they're supposed to be forming relationships with? Um, I think it's a difficult thing to do. And on another front, we've seen Spotify employees become activists. Uh, recently, Spotify purchased the Joe Rogan podcast, and as probably many people have read about, many of the employees of Spotify have objected because they find some of the content from Joe Rogan to be objectionable. And it's just so funny to me that they have a conscience about these issues, um, but yet their company that they work for, which is based on songs as the input, they don't seem to have a problem with their company trying to gut the songwriting industry at the same time. Um, I think it's a, a very transparent thing that if you work for Spotify and if you care about songwriters, you should be objecting to what your company is doing with trying to cut what they pay them by a third. Yeah, that would... Uh... That would be a challenge. I do have friends that work there, and we don't get into very deep conversations on it because they, they toe a line a little bit, I think. Uh, I'm not calling any of my friends out. They're awesome people, but it would be a challenge for me to take that job for sure. Uh, but I'm in a publisher, so <laughs> that's my background. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, David. Uh, well, thank you. That's a lot to update on that. I have a couple other things I want to get into, and uh, I don't want to keep too much of your time, but I know that recently we uh, – we settled the, the problem with TikTok, and they, they stepped up to the table uh, finally, and uh, that got licensed, uh, if I am correct, right? And we got all that kind of settled? Yes, we have a global agreement with TikTok that both compensated for all the previous unlicensed use of music and established a licensing framework for the future. So my question here, because I've noticed the – there's a new one. There's, uh, I believe it's called Trillers come up. And, and Brandon and I, my producer, were talking prior to having you on here that it feels like this is almost whack-a-mole. That if you get one settled, something else happens. And how is, they can't clearly claim ignorance anymore. Like uh, they don't know that they're supposed to pay for music. What do you think is the inherent issue of this? Is it because licensing is difficult or do they just feel like we can do this because we can or like why? how is this continually happening to us in the music business where people just use our music to start businesses without licensing it? It's a great question and it's perplexed me as I've dealt with multiple of these technology companies that seem to repeat the same pattern. Um, I think for some there is an element of ignorance, but I don't think that's the predominant problem. I think the predominant problem is a culture that somehow, if you're running a tech company, it's better to ask for forgiveness later than permission up front. And that there's this focus on proving the business model, building a customer base, and then later worrying about clearing the rights. And that's just the opposite way they should be approaching this. You know, the songwriting and publishing community welcomes with open arms new applications that use music. We are flexible. We are encouraging. We are, you know, easy to partner with when it comes to a new way to exploit songs that produces revenue for songwriters. 
What these tech companies keep doing, though, is building companies based on songs and then later trying to clean up the mess that they created by not licensing them properly from the beginning. Now, I want to be very clear about this. When a company does that, they then have a choice. They can either figure out a way to make it right, which usually involves significant damages looking backward. And if they're willing to do that, we'll work with them to clean up their business model and make them a good partner moving forward. Their other choice is to get sued and lose, which is what would happen. But it is so much easier to do it right from the beginning and never have to deal with that choice down the road. Now, when companies make the right choice down the road where they made an early mistake and they clean it up like a TikTok, that's fine. We'll partner and we'll move forward together and, and, and that's all good. But wouldn't you rather do it right from the beginning and not have to pay those damages, not have to go through that negotiation, not have to potentially get sued? It just doesn't make any sense. And so there are companies that do it the right way, but you just keep finding these technology companies that seem to have it backwards. And Triller would be another one. Um, Triller is a competitor to TikTok, and it seems to be approaching it similarly in that it is largely unlicensed on the publishing side, and they're going to have that same choice coming up. And yes, it does feel like whack-a-mole, and you can't go after everyone, but what you can do is go after everyone who is proving success. And therefore, what good does it do you as a company to do this because you want to be successful, and so you ought to want to have songwriters as your partners from the very beginning. But as long as there are companies that do this the wrong way, there will be NMPA waiting to clean up the situation or to look for justice on behalf of the writers and publishers whose songs were being used to build that business. Well, it seems like you're as confused as me as to the reasons why, but we get it. Businesses are businesses, and they, I think there has been a precedent that they've I don't know if it's always consciously. They're just like, this is the way it goes. You just figure out and deal with it later down the road, which, uh, as you proved, mentioned, not always the most financial sound decision to make. And, and we, we are accommodating. We want our music used, so we welcome any new revenue source. So we'd hope they'd figure it out. But this actually segues quickly into a, 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 into a nice conversation of, do you think that once the MLC is fully rocking and rolling, that this is going to be helpful to have a clearinghouse of sorts for the mechanical licensing that might help maybe trump some of that in the front end because then it's a little more streamlined process for us? Well, I think that the MLC itself is probably not going to be helpful for these types of applications like a TikTok, a Triller, or other business models that need something more than just a purely mechanical reproduction under Section 115 license. For streaming companies, clearly, it will become much easier to launch an interactive streaming company with the MLC. But what the MLC will do is be creating a database that is public and transparent. And so I do think that there will be a benefit to companies because of the existence of that database. And so while the MLC can't, can't license companies that need video or lyric rights, it can help by providing a roadmap to the proper owners through this new database. Um, so I do think it will benefit new business models outside of Section 115, but not directly from their license, more from the existence of this new database. Great. That, that, that makes great sense. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, 
Uh, so let's look to the future. I mean, how do you, I know you're an optimist because I've, I've heard your speeches and been on a few of your panels. So as we look down the road, how do you think the next year, year and a half is going to play off? And of course you can add in some of your takeaways from COVID in there. Cause that's definitely been a challenge for us. It's uh, another thing we didn't see coming. that is uh, definitely rocked our business world. Yeah, I, I am an optimist about the industry and, you know, I, I think that money is smart. And what I mean by that is that lots of people can have opinions, but usually markets tend to be smarter than anything else. And if you just look at the outside money that is pouring into the music publishing industry right now, it is a confirmation of the value of songs. You see so much interest in partnering, owning, funding, music publishing, and songwriting ventures, it's because they see what I see, which is that songs have tremendous value and that the future of this industry is very bright. Now, COVID obviously is going to have a big impact, as it will on many industries. And I think for the music industry, it has a little bit of a delayed impact because of the nature of how royalties flow. And you know, most people in this industry understand well that the money takes a while to flow from the original source into the pockets of the writers. And therefore, when there's an economic downturn, sometimes the effect of it can be felt like a, uh, an earthquake shockwave into the future. But despite the COVID you know, concerns, the reason I'm so bullish on the industry is because I look at the numbers and I look at the trends. You know, we track at NMPA every dollar that comes into the music publishing and songwriting industry in the United States on an annual basis. We track 22 different subcategories, and many of those subcategories have additional subcategories under that. And we have seen the industry transform. And what's important in terms of revenue is constantly changing. But what hasn't changed is that songs have value. And so if you move from traditional you know, terrestrial radio broadcasting to things like a TikTok or things like in-home fitness programs like Peloton, songs have value. And that's why we're so bullish about the publishing industry is because we're watching, despite the challenge that COVID has right now, the long-term horizon is that the music publishing industry is clearly in a growth mode and one that has a bright future based on the way that we've been able to define the laws and make sure that the rights are protected and the way that we've been aggressive in protecting those rights to make sure that companies do it the right way. And when you do that, you start to see real value flowing to uh, the input of the song. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville to keep up with news, events, panels, and even new episodes. The AIMP Nashville Podcast is created by executive producers Dale Bobo and Tim Hunsey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks for listening and supporting the AIMP Nashville Podcast.